Imagine that it is 1875, and you live in Seville, Ohio. It's a pretty quiet town, about 40 miles from Cleveland. Except one night, you get an invitation to a party. You hitch up your horse and wagon, and you set off. When you arrive at the address, there's a wide field, a barn, and up on the hill, a house. As you step out of your wagon and climb the front steps, you also notice that it's not a normal house. For one thing, the doorknob comes all the way up to your chest, so you have to reach up to grab it. You walk into the main room, and you notice something else odd. Nobody at this whole party is sitting down. And it's not for a lack of chairs. There's a rocking chair in the corner. But this is a big rocking chair. So big that in order to get into it, you would have to climb up the rungs like a child at a jungle gym. So you stand. But one person moves across the room with ease. It's the host of the party, and she's heading towards the rocking chair. She sits down, no climbing required, and smiles down at her guests. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, a visit to the house of Anna Swan, who is almost eight feet tall, and the story of how she found a place that fit. After this... If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Long before she hosted parties at her home in Seville, Ohio, Anna Swan lived in a cabin in New Annan, Nova Scotia. I was going to say that this was back when she was a little girl, except Anna was never really that little. When she was born, she weighed 13 pounds. And by the time she was five, she was nearly the height of a full-grown woman. Word of this enormous little girl spread. People rode in from out of town. They showed up at the cabin. Neighbors knocked on the door, telling a story about needing a, a cup of sugar, a bit of flour. And then they'd crane their necks to catch a glimpse of Anna. And the older she got, the less she fit in the little cabin. I can see 
picture Anna in my mind coming down that narrow staircase, ducking and twisting and turning. Dale Swan is a volunteer at the Anna Swan Museum in Nova Scotia. And Anna was his great, great aunt. She was uncomfortable sitting at the kitchen table to take meals, sitting on a chair because she felt like a tower above everybody else, you know. So she sat on the floor. And was she embarrassed? No. She had learned years ago, you just put up with it. You just, one of those things you have to cope with and you may as well laugh at it. Anna, in most ways, was just a normal girl. She learned to play piano, but, you know, hunched over the keys. She loved literature. She was involved in her church. She went about her life. But all the while, people continued to show up at the door of the cabin. And I think Anna got quite used to that. And uh, from an early age, took it uh, in her stride. And I'm not deluding myself into thinking it was always easy for her, but uh, I think that's how she decided just to deal with it. And also, her grandmother was a strong support to Anna and would tell her in her Scottish accent, stand tall, lass. Stand tall and be proud of yourself and what you can be, what you can accomplish, and of your heel and ancestry. So that is what Anna Swan did. She stood tall, and taller, and taller. Anna would eventually grow to the height of 7 feet, 11 inches tall. When Anna was 16, there came another knock on the door. And this time, there was no pretense about needing sugar or flour. It was P.T. Barnum, the famous showman and co-founder of the Barnum & Bailey Circus. And he wanted Anna to come work for him. This was in the early 1860s, about a decade before Barnum started his famous traveling circus. Back then, he had a brick-and-mortar museum called the American Museum in New York City. At first, Anna's parents were a little hesitant to send her away to the big city. But Barnum's offer was enticing. For one, she'd be paid 1000 bucks per month. That works out to about an annual salary of 360000 in today's money. She'd be able to continue her education. Barnum would pay for a private tutor. And finally, there were the little things, like her shoes. Although her mother could make dresses for Anna, her father found it very difficult to make shoes that were comfortable for her. Nothing worse than having a bad pair of shoes. Anna signed up and headed for New York City. There was nowhere else quite like Barnum's American Museum. It featured things like taxidermy natural history exhibits, a lecture room where patrons could hear Shakespeare, and where Anna would sing. But the museum also featured more mm, questionable items, like the Fiji mermaid, which was a monkey sewn to the body of a fish, and you know people said it was a mermaid. Or a man with dwarfism, or a woman with a beard. Basically, the museum combined educational displays with sensational entertainment, or quote-unquote freak shows, as they came to be called. And to Barnum, Anna fit a little bit across both of these categories. Some people, when they went to see Anna, they expected to see this very awkward, clumsy lady just clomping around, you know. And what they saw was a dignified person, well-spoken, well-read, and obviously with an education. Barnum used her very, very well, as far as I can determine. Not so 
with some of his other employees. And I think uh, that many of them did not have the good childhood that Anna experienced. Take, for example, Millie and Christine McCoy, conjoined twins who were born into slavery. When they were 10 months old, the sisters were sold to a man who rented them out to various sideshows, including Barnum's American Museum in New York City, where they first appeared when they were three years old. By the time Anna arrived at the museum, they were around 11. And the twins would become two of Anna's closest friends. I've heard quite a few stories over the years about uh, how she looked after others at Barnum's Museum. She also became... I think, a sister figure to many of the employees there. And it was a close-knit family at that museum among the employees, you know. Anna had her friends from work. She took singing and acting lessons. And she rode around the city in a carriage pulled by Clydesdales. And, of course, there were the shoes. Size 16 and a half, custom-made. Eventually, her contract with Barnum ran out, and it was time for something new. So Anna signed up for a three-year tour of Europe. But it wasn't seeing the sights that appealed to her. She'd already been to Europe a number of times. She'd even met Queen Victoria, who was charmed by Anna. It was that she'd heard someone else would be on the tour. Someone she'd met at a party just a few months earlier, who she couldn't stop thinking about. His name was Martin Van Buren Bates. He was a gregarious gent from Kentucky. And he also happened to be seven feet, eight inches tall. Martin was a bit of a character, but Anna could handle him, you know. (laughs) And I know one time there was a dance, and Martin thought he would show those northerners how to do a southern clog. And the floor started to let go. (laughs) And men just went down to the, the, the cellar and propped the floor, and the dance resumed. Anna and Martin met for the second time on a ship from New York to England. By the time the ship docked, they were engaged. Well, June 17th, 1871, the wedding was in St. Martin in the Fields Church in London. That is a grand church right smack in the middle of the city, and the crowd spilled outside. Several of the clergies looked out, and they saw, oh my gosh, what a lot of people out there. One said, oh, they're rabble. Look at the rabble. They've come for the sideshow, you know. And many people probably attended that service thinking it would be a sideshow, you know. But to Anna, this was in no way a sideshow. It was exactly the kind of wedding that anyone would picture. Getting married in a beautiful church to a person she felt was her equal, surrounded by people she loved, including Millie and Christine, the conjoined twins who were two of her bridesmaids. And some things never change, even when you're seven feet tall. Martin was shaking in his boots. Typical broom, (laughs) rather nervous. And then the doors opened, and in came Anna, dressed in white. The wedding dress was a gift from Queen Victoria, 100 yards of satin, 50 yards of lace, and people were just amazed at how graceful she was walking up the aisle. Anna and Martin were pretty typical newlyweds. They honeymooned at a fancy hotel, then they settled into working life in London, making appearances and going on tour, hanging around with royalty. And after a couple of years, they decided they were ready to have a baby. But the baby was stillborn, and Anna and Martin were devastated. After years in the spotlight, they had had enough. 
Anna wanted nothing more than to settle back in life, doing church work and being a hostess, uh, doing community work, that type of thing. In 1874, they left Europe for good and bought a plot of land in Seville, Ohio, this rural town full of wide green meadows and small creeks. And Martin started collecting cattle and horses for the farm. Anna taught Sunday school at the local church. So she would spread out her large skirts. The children would sit on the skirts. And uh, she would teach Sunday school from there. Anna and Martin were building a life that fit them. And they built a house that fit them, too. There were two sections to the house, a front and a back. And the back was built to average size for hired help or guests. But the front of the house was for Anna and Martin. Well, they also had a pet monkey named Buttons. Um, But mostly, besides Buttons, the house was for Anna and Martin. There were 14 rooms, 14-foot ceilings, extra-high windows, eight-and-a-half-foot-high double doors, No more stooping through doorways, no more turning sideways to fit through. No more scrunching up in bed, either. Theirs was built 10 feet long. No more hunching over to play the piano. Anna's was mounted on stilts. The house also became a bit of a sanctuary for their friends from the touring days. During the holidays, Anna's old friend Millie and Christine would come to visit. They'd go for rides together in Anna and Martin's giant sleigh. Afterwards, they'd go inside the house, a place where they could just all be themselves. The neighbors in Seville did come to Anna's home, but this time they weren't there to gawk. They were all invited as guests. And I can just picture Martin, I can see him in my mind's eye right now with this grin on, watching people cope with the house. Guests reached up for the doorknobs. They wandered through the tall doorways. They watched Anna play her piano on stilts, maybe with Buttons the monkey perched up on her shoulder. And in the living room, they saw her sitting in that rocking chair. Not scrunching up or squeezing in or stooping over. Just sitting and rocking. Simply and easy, without a second thought. A woman comfortable in her own skin and her own home. Anna and Martin's house was torn down in the 1840s, which is so tragic. So you can't visit it anymore, but you can see some relics from their lives at the Anna Swan Museum in Nova Scotia, where Anna was born. If you do pass Seville, Ohio, you can visit the graves of Anna and Martin at the Mound Hill Cemetery. You'll know you're there when you see the life-size statue of Anna towering over you, sitting on a pedestal. Some of the sounds in this episode were recorded by Colazon via the Freesound Archive. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes... Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley. Willis Ryder-Arnold. Sarah Wyman. Manolo Morales. Baudelaire Seuss. Gianna Palmer. Tracy Samuelson. John Delore. Our technical director is... Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by... Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.